The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In all of these stories, uh, the implication is that uh, Jesus has power and authority over these, these enemies of life, right? And that we can go to him and, and significantly we can trust him to deal with these issues and problems in our life. Um, and we looked last week, we talked about, you know, the demonic and how uh, that can be kind of distorted and played out in different ways as we either deny it or kind of go to an extreme uh, some of the same thing would be true, at least in my experience, uh, in the realm of healing. Uh, you know, does God want to heal people today? Right? That's the question. Um, I remember back when I was a pastor in the United States in Colorado, uh, a couple different times, being painfully challenged with the reality of this truth. And it usually came down like this. In fact, one specific time, I remember getting a phone call uh, in the middle of the night, after midnight. A young couple in our church had just uh, had their first child, but the delivery had been extremely difficult. And the baby was, was struggling, barely hanging on to life. And this couple called and they said, Will you come pray for our baby? And it was about a half-hour drive from where we lived into where the hospital was. And I just remember driving at 2 o'clock in the morning thinking, God, this is totally not fair, right? If Jesus were going, this would be easy. You would go, you would heal the child, everybody would be happy. I don't have that same confidence, right? And I just thought, you know, the, the, the pain for me as well as for this couple, knowing that I would go and I would pray, and I could not guarantee that the child would live or would recover, or would be healthy. I went, I prayed. Uh, the couple were very thankful for the prayers. Uh, the child had to be air, airlifted to a, a bigger hospital, and he did live, but he lived the rest of his life to this day with severe um, disabilities from brain damage during, during the birth, right? God didn't really heal him. Um, you know, in your own life, have you had experiences like this? Have you prayed for healing and it just didn't work? And, and like, you know, the, the thing that comes down to people always say, well, you just have to have more faith. If you have enough faith, you know, Scripture says over and over again, if you have enough faith, God will heal. And so I remember times sweating, as it were, drops of blood, trying to muster more faith. How do you do that? You know, just like... Tensing, like if I tense up my stomach and groan, maybe just wanting faith to happen, right? Because um, in those kind of life moments where life and death are hanging on the line, you know, you want to have power to see God work. But oftentimes, no matter how much faith I would muster, uh, God did not usually heal, right? And of course, we hear stories of God healing people with cancer and brain tumors and that sort of thing, and and it's like, why does that not happen to me? And, and maybe, you know, we, we begin to think, well, God just doesn't do that really anymore. On rare occasions, 
but it's not a part of his normal operation. So if that's true, why do we even bother praying for healing, right? Why don't I just say, eh, you're sick. It's not looking too good for you. I'm going to pray, you know, you die well. Um, you know, what are we supposed to do when people are sick? What are we supposed to do when we are sick, right? What does the Bible teach about our response to sickness? Well, this passage, I hope, will give us a better understanding of what God's will, what God's purpose is in healing, what it really means, and how we can make our faith more effective as we seek this threat to life, this enemy that's come against us. Uh, So let's look at the passage. Uh, In this passage, Jesus heals people, but he not only heals people, but he heals really the incurable. And, and Luke crafts the story to make it clear that both of these cases are people who are sick beyond any, any cure that was available at that time. And it starts with the plea of a desperate father. And uh, you get this scene that this, this dad, Jairus, who we know is a ruler of the synagogue. Um, we don't exactly know all that that entailed. But in modern day church lingo, we, he would have been the pastor. Okay, uh, chances are Jesus is returning back to Capernaum, kind of his home base. It was a very small little village that sat right on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and you can go visit the, that synagogue there. And the synagogue ruler would have been the person that would have been responsible for the worship services. And he would have picked the scriptures and the songs and would have led the, the, the community in times of worship. So that's what he did. So he's a very high-profile person. And he also, he would, he would not have been a priest, most likely. He was, probably was not a Levite. Uh, and he uh, certainly was not a Pharisee because he would have been described in those terms. Uh, but yet he's still in the class of religious leaders who up to this point hadn't been really all that positive about Jesus. Uh, they had been very critical, very skeptical, uh, were beginning to find uh, faults and flaws in Jesus' ministry. And so he's in this group. Uh, but he's waiting for Jesus because his daughter is dying. And you can just see him with this crowd of people on the, on the shore of the lake waiting for Jesus to come back. The crowd's waiting because they, wanna, they just want to hear Jesus teach and they, they, they are supportive of his ministry. But Jairus is anxious because every second that goes by, he knows his, the life of his daughter is slipping away. And she is very, very sick. Well, Jesus arrives, and uh, this, this well-known public figure rushes up to Jesus, and it says that he, he bows down, he throws himself down before Jesus, and he begs for Jesus to come to his house. Right? Here's a guy who is, uh, who is desperate for his daughter, and he doesn't care what people think about his reputation, his image, his status. He doesn't care if... Pharisees start criticizing him because he's following this questionable teacher. He doesn't care about those things. He knows one thing. He believes that Jesus is the only one, the only hope for his dying daughter. And it's a matter of just minutes before it's going to be too late. So he rushes to Jesus and he throws himself bowing down at Jesus' feet. And it says that he begs Jesus, please Come heal my daughter. Uh, he is desperate. 
and it has a way of making people humble. Um, and he doesn't care what people think, but he knows Jesus can, can help. Uh, so Jesus turns, uh, and he begins to walk through this little town, uh, probably not very far away to Jairus' house. Uh, the synagogue sits within 100 feet of the lakeshore. And if you lived anywhere near the synagogue, it would have just been a few minutes to get to his house. And uh, as he turns to go, this massive throng of people go with Jesus, uh, walking down these narrow streets, uh, so much so that it says that um, literally that Jesus is choked in the crowd. Same word that's used in the parable of the soil and the seed for the, the thistles choking out the seed. Well, Jesus is being choked by this huge crowd and throng of people. Um, and, and as they go, uh, it says people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me? When all denied it, uh, Peter said, Jesus, look around you. Uh, the crowds are crushing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive power has gone out. And the woman saw she was not hidden. She came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all the people. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So on the way, uh, this, this woman also is in desperate situation, urgently needing help. Uh, her, her condition is not particularly life-threatening. Uh, she uh, is not on the verge of death, but she's been plagued with this uh, bleeding hemorrhage of some kind for 12 solid years. Uh, and it says that she spent all of her money, all of her resources, everything she's had, she's spent on doctors. And you can just picture this poor woman going to doctor after doctor, traveling throughout the region, trying to find somebody who can help her. Uh, and it was probably a rather embarrassing problem, probably a little painful for her to explain what was going on. But on top of all that, this particular uh, sickness also caused her to be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So she was, for all this time, excluded from worship in the temple, in the synagogue, and in the temple. Uh, she was cut off in every way from the community, and she was unclean. She couldn't be in contact with other people. And in fact, uh, according to the rabbi, somebody with this condition, anything that they touched, a bowl, a vase, uh, a spoon, anything, would also have been made unclean because she was considered so unclean. So here's a woman who, uh, for 12 years of her life, has suffered incredibly. Uh, but likewise, she's been waiting for Jesus, and she's convinced that if she can just get to him and touch uh, even the, the fringe of his robe, that healing power can, can come to her and she could be cured. And so she uh, works her way through this crowd. She fights through this crush of people. She gets within range of Jesus, and she reach out, uh, reaches out and she touches just this fringe or this tassel of Jesus' robe, and immediately she is healed. Uh, one of the only recorded cases of stealing healing, right? Right, she's, um, and we don't know why, but she's probably quite ashamed. She knows she's unclean. Uh, it would be embarrassing to explain this problem to Jesus. Um, we don't know the reasons, but she doesn't want it to be public. She wants it to be a secret. And so, uh, but she believes that nonetheless, 
Jesus can help her, and he does. It works. Uh, she is healed instantly. But her healing cannot be secret. Jesus knows that healing power has gone out from him, and he immediately turns to find out who it is. Um, and ultimately, she comes forward, and she too falls at Jesus' feet. And she declares publicly exactly what happened to her. And I love what Jesus says to her. He replies, daughter, your faith has literally has saved you. Uh, New Living other translations say it's made you well. But literally, it would be a much better translation to say, your faith has saved you. Because that's literally what it says in the Greek. Go in peace. And instantly like that, she's no longer outside of the family. Jesus calls her daughter. Right? And the significance of that is huge. She's no longer on the fringe. She now is pure and clean. She is now welcome to come in and participate in worship and fellowship in the community of faith. Uh, and not only that, but he says, um, your faith has saved you. Uh, calling her daughter reminds us back in verse 21 where Jesus says, my mother and brothers and family are those who hear the word of God and do it. Right? So the woman is healed. Well, right on the heels of this, okay, so that just happens. And as, as the woman's still recovering and as Jesus and the woman are still having this interaction, uh, a messenger comes up and says, uh, while he was still speaking, one of the, from the ruler's house uh, came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Um, this... This interruption, this event has delayed Jesus to the point that now it seems hopeless for the little girl, right? Those extra few minutes as Jesus dealt with this woman cost this little girl her life. Now, if the woman's bleeding was incurable, the girl's sickness now becomes even more incurable, right? You don't usually take dead people to the doctor, right? Take him to the doctor. Um, my, my child's died. Can you fix him? <laughs> you know, pretty much we know that's incurable. And, and the servant says that. He says, don't bother the teacher. It's too late. He didn't get there in time. But notice what Jesus says to uh, Jairus. He says, um, do not fear. And then he says the exact same words he just said to the woman. He says, only believe and she will be saved. It says well in the Bible, but the translation really is saved. Just believe, and she will be saved. And apparently, Jairus uh, does believe because he continues to lead Jesus to his house. Um, and it says when he came to the house, uh, they were all weeping and mourning, which would be an evidence or a sign that she was truly dead. Uh, in, in that culture, they would hire professional mourners who would come and mourn for the dead. But in order to do that, you had to confirm that the person was really dead uh, because you didn't want to pay money mourning for somebody who was still alive, right? So you would uh, have somebody come in, and there were, like we have in our day, experts who could determine this. And before the mourners would begin mourning, you would verify the death. So they came in, and they checked the girl over and, and verified... Yes, she was dead. Uh, no life left in her. And so they were weeping and wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus says to the, this group in the home, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. 
Now, Jesus is not saying here, you're confused, you don't know what dead people really look like. I'm telling you, she's just asleep. He's not saying that. He's, uh, he's affirming that she's dead. But what he's saying here is that her death is not a permanent condition, right? That he can reverse what has happened, that it is not incurable, right? Versus a death that would be permanent and irreversible. Uh, for Jesus, all death is just permanent. And so he can describe death as being sleep, right? That everybody who dies in Jesus' book can be woken up. They can be restored to life. And so he, uh, he makes that assertion, and they laugh at him, right? Uh, and they laugh at him because they are so convinced that she is dead and that what has happened to her cannot be reversed or turned over. But Jesus sends everybody away except for Peter, James, and John and the parents. He goes into the room, and Jesus grabs the little girl's hand, uh, also significant because she also now, in, as, a, as a dead body, would be unclean. But Jesus doesn't care about that. He touches her anyway. He grabs her hand, and he commands her, literally, wake up. And she pops up out of bed full of life. And Jesus says, give her something to eat. Um, she needs food. She needs to be strengthened, right? And he warns them to tell no one. Um, so in both of these cases, Jesus quite easily heals what is otherwise incurable and really quite impossible. And as you look through these uh, three stories, uh, the theme is very similar. Uh, like the storm in the Legion of Demons, Jesus dealt with these problems with very little effort. Right? He doesn't agonize. He does not clench his gut. He does not moan and groan. He does not agonize. He does not have to marshal faith. Right? And actually, Jairus doesn't either. He doesn't say to Jairus, man, you've got to start sweating more, bud. I don't see, I don't see the evidence of faith in you. You've got to start sweating, start pacing, start like, doing push-ups or something. Right? No. In fact, Jairus is like tottering on the, on the brink of doubt. And Jesus says, you just got to believe, right? And, and we don't see in Jairus this huge, what I would consider, demonstration of faith. He's not going, oh, come on, Jesus, you can do this. I know you can do this. Jesus, don't give up, right? That's the other way around. Um, and Jesus makes it easy. Uh, to the woman, he, he's not even consciously aware of her touch until power has gone out from him, right? Uh, it's so easy, he does it unconsciously. That's what I call pretty easy. With the, this dead girl, he grabs her hand, he pulls her up, he says, get up. As easy as waking up a child. And poof, like that, she is alive again. Um, and the point of these three stories is clearly that Jesus has the power to overcome any and all threats to our life. Right? Jesus can do this. And the, the, the point of the story uh, Luke says very clear, is, is what you need to, to pull this off is you need to believe in Jesus' power and authority over these obstacles. And I believe uh, the, the, the invitation is here that, yes, uh, part of Jesus' ministry and work, not just while he walked on earth, but throughout the ages, is to defeat these obstacles and enemies in our life. Um, so if that's true, 
Um, the, the question is, can we really trust him to heal us from sickness? And when it doesn't seem to work, what, what is the problem? Is it my faith? Is it Jesus' lack of care? What, what is the problem when we don't seem to experience healing uh, happening like it does in Scripture? Instantly, dramatically, and over impossible odds. Well, to back up, to, to, to get, understand this, we need to back up just a little bit. And we need to understand, really, uh, what disease is. What does it mean to be sick? Um, good announcement, very fitting announcement this morning. Somebody got H1N1. <laughs> Perfect, right? H1N1, what is H1N1? Well, it is a virus, right? It's a little germ, right? So, like, if Jesus calming the storm is on a macro scale, this is warfare on a micro scale. Okay, these are not big storms. These are little storms that can invade our bodies and cause us great pain and suffering and illness. Um, but we need to look really at what, uh, what it meant both in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day. Uh, what did they see as the cause of sickness? Right? What did they see and how did they understand? They didn't understand H1N1 and viruses and bacteria and germs. So how did they see uh, the cause and source of sickness and disease? Well, let's look first of all quickly at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, disease and sickness was directly connected to sin and the fall. So the theology of sickness in the Old Testament is that man sinned, and the consequences of that sin is death, and sickness is the steps to get there, right? So, so this, is how, this is true of any sickness. Sickness is going to go one of two ways. Either you'll get sick and you'll recover, or you'll get sick and you won't, and meaning you die, right? And that's what sickness is. It is the onset of death. Uh, now, in our world, we've gotten so good at beating it, we often don't think of it in those terms, we take away the medicine, take away antibiotics, take away all of our treatments, and even the most simple things can, uh, without medical help, result in death. Um, so in the Old Testament, that's how they saw it. Adam and Eve sinned, and the judgment was death, and that, that death was being played out in their lives often. So you see passages like this. Exodus 15:26 says this, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Right? So Jesus says, you obey me, you won't get sick. Right? It's great, great vitamins. Vitamin O for obedience. Right? Second Chronicles 16.12 In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from doctors. And in that context of that passage, that was a sin charged to him that the failure of his faith that was that he went to seek medical help instead of seeking God's help. Right? Psalm 103, 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals your diseases. So throughout the Old Testament, we could read lots more. Sickness and iniquity, health and sin, all get mixed together. And they see those things as very much one and the same thing. You get sick. Uh, I mean, you, you sin, you get sick. 
And in fact, the rabbis developed um, whole um, medical books, if you will, diagnosis books, where they could decide your sin by your symptom, right? So if you got this disease, it meant that this was the sin. So just, just think how this would go in our day, right? If, if we had this catalog, and you could look at this up online, and you go, you know, I got a cold, uh, what's my sin, right? So it could look like this. You know, you get an eye infection, you've been lusting after women, right? So nobody wants an eye infection. Oh, uh, we know what you've been doing, right? Uh, you get a sore throat, you've been gossiping, right? You, 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 you cough, it's because you need to cough up the truth. You're hiding something, right? Just, just think how this could go, right? Um, it, it would be embarrassing. And they had this. In fact, they had this so minutely in detail that they had even written sins that people could commit in the womb that resulted in birth defects. So thus, in Jesus, in the Gospels, uh, they bring a blind man, b- blind from birth, right? And they said, whose sin was this, his or his parents'? In other words, it was possible, they believed, that in the womb you could sin. Now, I'm not, I have no idea what that would look like, but you know, that's what they believed. Now, obviously, the rabbis had taken it farther, farther than Old Testament Scripture. Uh, and, and the examples of, of Job uh, and others would indicate that it's not that simple. Right? The Old Testament does not teach that every sin has its direct correlating sickness. Right, even though the rabbis came to that conclusion. And the book of Job is a great reminder that, yes, it is a spiritual problem, but it's not that directly connected. So Job was a righteous person who was faultless before God, and God himself affirmed that, and yet he suffered horrible sickness. Right? Um, so fast forward to uh, first century, Jesus' time. How did they think about sickness? Well, for both the, the Jew and the non-Jew in, in, in the first century world, um, the cause of sickness was always seen as the result of an external force like the gods, demons, a sin that came into our life, guilt that we have brought on ourselves, a curse that somebody has placed on us. So healing was seen as combating those forces. And that was really what developed magic. Uh, magic is not tricks and a sleight of hand. Uh, magic evolved or, or came about because they were trying to ward off those forces that would cause sickness. Uh, whether it was the gods, you, you would offer sacrifices or offerings to appease the gods so they would leave you alone. Or to ward off a curse or to send away demons and evil spirits. And we see that lived out around us here all the time, right? People offer gifts at spirit houses and at the temples to do what? Well, to mediate the bad luck that will send sickness and disease and bad luck to your life. Um, That was exactly what they thought back then. And even the Greeks who invented uh, medicine and who really started the process of science and of applying logic and, and rational thinking to sickness, even they deeply intertwined uh, medicine and the rational and scientific with the superstitious and spiritual. Right? So in Jesus' day, this, was the, this is how everybody viewed sickness and healing. Sickness was not simply a matter of, of germs. It was spiritual. It was spiritual. Well, fast forward to modern, uh, our, our era, 
How do we see sickness as compared to that? Well, we tend to see sickness, uh, and, and in our greatly evolved status and state, right, we've given up on superstition, right? Um, I'm guessing not many of you recently have tried to cat, put, put, put a curse on somebody, right? You maybe wanted to, but you don't believe in it. So we don't go around cursing people. Um, chances are none of you got up this morning and offered, you know, Coke and an orange to the uh, spirits. So you were healthy, right? We, we're not superstitious like that anymore. We see uh, sickness in purely in terms of biology, bacteria and viruses and cancer cells and clogging of the arteries and infections, H1N1 and other things like that that invade our body, that they are actual organisms that are part of this material, physical world, and the sickness is purely a physical problem. Um, so for us, if we look at these three stories of the storm, the demons, and the sickness, we would probably put sickness in the same category as the storm. It's just a natural force of nature that comes against us. Um, not on a macro scale, but on a micro scale. Um, so, so modern man has decided that of the two types of wisdom or knowledge, spiritual knowledge and material physical knowledge, that spiritual knowledge is irreliable and cannot be trusted. So we've eliminated that half of the equation, and we focus just on physical material knowledge. So here's what we are. We've, we've cut the amount of information in half and consider ourselves to be twice as smart. Think about that. Um, even with all that, though, and even as scientific and as purely physical and material as we are about solving the problems of sickness, think about this. We also recognize that there is, at some level, a moral connection to our, our health, if not a spiritual connection. For example... We know that God's created the body with this amazing capacity to fight disease and illness called the immune system. And we know that uh, we don't get sick with every germ that, that comes our way. Our body fights those things off. But we also know that sometimes our immune system and those systems fail us. And it's been proven that what causes that failure often is not purely physical. It also has to do with our life. Stress, anxiety, worry, anger, conflict are all proven and known to cause health issues. Things like heart disease, high blood pressure, ulcers, and cancer. Right? So even we would concede that the way we live our life, the moral side of our life, if it goes badly, can result in sickness. Um, Bad diet, working too much, not taking care of our bodies, these cause health issues. Lifestyle choices can lead to health problems. If you don't get enough sleep, you're at greater risk for crashing your car. Right? Um, if you practice and disregard moral boundaries and you, you, don't, you don't handle sexuality properly, you're at risk for sexually transmitted diseases. Right? All those things are realities even for us that uh, guilt, bitterness, fear, broken relationships, these things can impact our bodies physically. So even we would connect that, right, with our scientific brain. Um, 
so taking all these views together, the real question is, what would Jesus say? How did Jesus view sickness? Well, clearly, uh, Jesus would not deny science, okay? Jesus is the creator of the universe. He invented biology, actually, right? He created those little nasty virus bug germs, right? He knows them inside out. Here's the deal. Jesus could pass any medical board exam anywhere, 100%, right? He gets science, and Jesus... You know, he gave sight to the blind. He caused the crippled to walk. Believe me, he gets the science behind it. And he could not do that if he was not uh, genius about science and medicine. But at the same time, Jesus would absolutely affirm that it is ultimately a spiritual problem. Sickness, disease, our health is ultimately a spiritual matter. Uh, how do we know that? Well, um, notice what it says. Uh, Jesus is repeatedly, first of all, offering forgiveness along with healing. Throughout the Gospels, he does this over and over again. Did you ever wonder why so often people brought, uh, came to Jesus for healing, and instead of healing them, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, right? Remember when they, they brought the paralytic and dropped him through the ceiling? Uh, to be healed, right? And what's the first thing Jesus said to them? When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> okay? And for us, we're going, what? <laughs> that's not what he's looking for. That's not his problem, right? But Jesus would say, no, that's exactly his problem. Because there is a connection between the moral state of your life and your physical health. Jesus puts those two things together. Uh, in this story, Jesus connects their faith not just to healing, but to salvation. Right? Both times, Jesus says to both of these characters, your faith has saved you. Uh, to Jairus, he says, have faith so that your daughter will be saved. For Jesus, his healing is not just fixing our broken bodies, it is salvation. Um, and it puts healing in the context of Jesus' greater saving work on the cross. Right? Jesus' work on the cross, the work of the gospel, the work of his, his death, was to bring salvation to us. Here's the problem, though. We, we want to dissect our life into parts. Right? We have the physical part, and we have the spiritual part. And we see Jesus' death on the cross as something that affects our spiritual part, but has nothing to do with our physical part. Jesus uh, doesn't dissect this so cleanly. He goes, you know, you may have parts, but the parts all function together, and you're a whole person. And if I'm going to save you, if, I'm going, if my work on the cross is going to have effect and impact on your life, it must have impact on the whole person, that they are connected. And they can't be so easily dissected. So it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, uh, Surely, speaking of Jesus, right, speaking of his death, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Right? 
See, for God, for Jesus, and His view of us, those things are all one thing. God doesn't see them sorted out into different pieces. That, well, I'll save your soul now, but I don't really care about your body, you know. It's, it's bad design, it's defective, you're just going to have to wait till you can trade it in. Right? Uh, there's some truth to that, but that's not the whole truth. Okay, God's salvation, Jesus teaches here, is holistic. They come for healing, Jesus saves their whole life. Right? He, and it is through faith that they come not only to be cured, but to be saved. Um, Jesus wants to cure all of you. So, it is a spiritual problem, right? When you get sick, it is ultimately a spiritual problem. Now, does that mean you can go to, you know, a, a spiritual person, a pastor, or some other expert and say, you know, I've got, you know, I think I've got cancer. Can you tell me what my sin is, right? Spiritual problem doesn't mean it's necessarily a direct link to some specific sin in your life. Praise God that every time we sin, it doesn't result in like warts, cancer, you know, or a stroke, right? We would all be here in wheelchairs. Right? God's grace is bigger than that, right? But it is a spiritual problem. And it means that when we get sick, we need to ask and seek the spiritual things going on in our life that are not quite whole and healed and right before God, right? It may not be a specific act or deed, but maybe we're working too much. And this is common sense. You're working too much. You don't take days off. You don't honor God's Sabbath. And you're constantly getting sick, sick, flu bugs, the colds, you know. Um, A doctor would tell you, yeah, you're working too hard. The Bible would tell you you're sinning by um, not trusting God to do the work that needs to be done, right? Um, if you are stressed and worried about things and it's causing you to have ulcers or migraines or back pain or neck pain or whatever pain, right? The Bible says that that stress and worry is a sin, right? It is not trusting God to deal with your problems and to care for you. When, When we are sick, when we are dealing with these things, we need to be asking the question, what is the spiritual thing going on in my life that's part of the problem, right? Um, and then we need to deal with those things. I believe that, that Jesus is saying healing, it's his, it's his intention to bring healing to our spiritual depravity, to our emotional brokenness, to our intellectual foolishness, and to our physical sickness. So does that mean that we should never get sick, and if we do, we should automatically expect absolutely 100% healing? Well, um, no, right? And the reason is that salvation is a process that is never 100% complete until Jesus returns and wakes us up from our final slumber and gives us perfect new life in him. On this earth, it's continually a process, right? Does God instantly heal your, your, your mental state? I'm living proof that he does not because I'm still a fool a lot of times and not all that bright, right? I need regeneration in my mind continually. 
But does that mean that God's not doing something to regenerate our thinking? Well, I hope so. Does that mean that God's not doing anything to regenerate and heal the brokenness of your emotions? Well, let's hope he's healing you in those areas. That he is uh, mending together the broken parts of your heart. Does that mean that God will never care for your physical body? Well, I don't think so. I think he does a lot of healing in our life as he uses these things to shape and form us and deal with the spiritual broken realities in our life. Um, but there's no guarantee that, and Jesus has never promised, he will heal everything. In fact, the reality is that sooner or later, we will all get some sickness that will end in death. And we will all fall asleep. But Jesus calls us sleep because he promises that one day he will wake us up and we will be then fully and completely healed of every brokenness and sin. Uh, but he does heal many of those broken pieces here and now, and I believe it's his purpose and will to do that. All right, so what do we do with this? Let me wrap up with just some practical things that I think we can think about when we think about his healing. First of all, um, Jesus makes it clear that faith is a big part of it. In fact, it's the whole thing, right? Over and over again, Jesus says, you... You have to believe. He says to Jairus, only believe. That's, all you, that's, that's your part of the, of the equation. I have the power. I have the authority. You need to access that by faith. But what exactly does that mean? Well, I think it means a couple of things. First of all, faith is certainly a bold confidence that God will do what he has promised. Uh, faith is a deep conviction that, that uh, Christ has the power to heal us because he made us, as well as the authority to heal us because he died for us on the cross, right? So we believe that. Um, it means believing that salvation is holistic, right? That the problem is not just medical, that healing is a, is a spiritual issue and that we have a conviction that it's through the cross that Jesus redeems the spiritual broken part of our life that's under the weight of the fall. Right? We start rethinking what that looks like. We start thinking and believing new that our problem is not just a virus or a bacteria or a bug or clogged arteries. We start looking at the root things behind that that may have led us to clogged arteries. Like, you know, we don't eat well. We're not exercising. We're not being good stewards of our body. Right? Um, but beyond that, um, in this story, faith... For both of these people, it was faith in action. How did they put their faith into action? Well, for both of them, it meant pursuing Jesus with every fiber of their being. Both of them had took great risks to come to Jesus. For both of them, it would have been much safer to stay in the background. But they took great risks to put their faith in action by pursuing Jesus by hunting him down and doing whatever it took to get their hands on him, uh, to bring him into their life and into their situation and into, into their home. For them, faith was actively pursuing Christ. Uh, and finally, faith meant seeking his touch. Here, here's what I believe. I think one of the reasons we don't see healing is that we think our faith needs to be in the act of healing. 
we worry too much that, um, you know, we're not appropriating God's power. We're not believing him that he can or cannot heal. But in these three stories, when you put them all together, this is what it looks like. When you go back out on the lake, remember the story on the lake with the storm? The storm was about to sink their ship, and the disciples were freaking out, right? They wake up Jesus. Jesus speaks to the storm and stops, and he says to them, where is your faith? And he implied in that that their faith should have been in what? In him. He says, as long as I'm in the boat, what are you worried about? Right? What are you worried about? As long as I am with you, you are safe. He goes across. He meets the demoniac. Uh, the, the demoniac comes, bows down before Jesus, and the demons flee in Jesus' presence. And finally, the man is left sitting at Jesus' feet in close communion and fellowship with Christ. And there again is the, the image. As long as you are with Christ, you have nothing to fear. The demons can't touch you. And then in this story, it's played out again. They're facing sickness and even death. And the solution is not some random magical healing that comes zapping out of the sky. What they know they need is Jesus. If they can get their hands on him, if they can bring him into the midst of their situation and he can touch their life, his presence brings healing. Right. So what does that mean for us? So it means this. We don't need to seek healing nearly as much as we need to seek the presence of Christ in our life. Because right? here's the deal. If your life is filled with Christ, if you are living and walking with him, if you are pursuing him daily, and if by faith you are actively engaging Christ and drawing him into your life, you are like that demoniac sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking up his teaching. If you are like the disciples, doing life with Jesus in your boat, right? Do you have anything to worry or fear? Jesus would say, no. I am the medicine for every obstacle. I am the one who has power and authority to overcome every problem. So instead of pursuing healing, I think what Jesus is saying is what we need to do is pursue him. And he'll take care of it. He will work it out. He says, only believe and your faith will save you. Um, one last thing to practice this. I think we need to do this in our own life, but I also think it, it has implications for how we um, pray for each other. And I just want to read this verse. I'm not going to explain it all, but from James chapter 5. And with all that I've talked about, um, I hope it gives new insight and meaning to what James writes here. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.